1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today, we have Dr. Jeremy Courtney on with us. He is a pulmonologist at UMMC. Um, Pulmonologists are lung doctors, and so he is a lung doctor at UMMC. And so today, he's going to be talking with us about different lung diseases like asthma, COPD. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the damage that tobacco can cause to your lungs and lung cancer. So if you have any questions or comments, We would love to hear from you. Give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Courtney. Thank you so much for coming on with us today.
3: Awesome. Thank you for having me today.
2: So tell us a little bit about what you do at UMMC as a lung doctor, because a lot of times our lung doctors are also trained in the ICU as well. Um, So tell us a little bit about what you do there.
3: Okay, I'm currently a second year pulmonary critical care fellow, and under that uh, we manage outpatient lung diseases as well as inpatient, and it's a variety. Usually it's asthma or COPD population, um, a little cystic fibrosis as well, and a lot of the rare things throughout the state. Um. So we manage that a lot from the outpatient standpoint, and in the event that they are admitted, we usually help them out there too. If things get fairly advanced where they require ICU care, um, we're well trained in that as well, um, from intubation to all of the things necessary from bronchoscopy to take care of these patients and do what we can to help them out.
2: And so, ICU care said I need to give you a little shout out because you have been one of the frontline workers through the thick of all this COVID um, taking care of patients in the ICU intubating patients um, just taking care of all the COVID patients with the ICU care and I know as pulmonologists y'all are also seeing a lot of these COVID patients outpatient too as well so once they have recovered from COVID, and if they're still having any lung issues, uh, which unfortunately is fairly common, um, y'all are taking care of these patients as well in the um, outpatient setting for their lungs. So we appreciate all your hard work.
3: Uh, Thank you. We have an incredible support staff in our ICU. I've, I've just been in awe of all the things they've done, from the protocols to the algorithms to ways to transport these patients, the best ways to go about intubation and family goals of care talks. We've been really blessed with the people we have around us to take care of these patients.
2: And you got your COVID vaccine today. I just want to throw that out there too. And I'm just going to get mine next week. Um, But a lot of people have been getting the COVID vaccines and uh, all around the state. I know uh, UMC, I've seen St. Dominic's Baptist employees here in Jackson. And my people I trained with in the past all throughout the state posting their pictures as well of them getting their COVID vaccine. And I told you before we came on here, it it kind of brought tears to my eyes when I was seeing everybody's pictures. It just makes me happy um, that we are hopefully going to have a light at the end of this, this tunnel and the pandemic will be hopefully ending soon. Um, Not in the near future, but we know hopefully within the next year or two we're going to have this a little bit better controlled so that just made me really happy and I just wanted to share that about the vaccines that they are here and we are getting them um, and as soon as hopefully they're going to be in pr- more production and I saw the Moderna vaccine is hopefully going to be coming up for approval this week or next week um, which will make even more vaccines available so hopefully the public will be able to get those as well soon so any problems with your vaccine that you've had so far?
3: So good. I got vaccinated around 8 a.m. this morning. It's a little soreness in the area, but that's not unexpected. We have that when I get the flu shot, Tdap, and uh, whatever, whatever other vaccinations you get. But like you said, it's been a great time. It's been a great day for medicine, seeing all of the physicians, nurses, our nurse practitioners post those pictures because I, f- I believe that That leadership is important, showing the surrounding communities that we're willing to get this vaccination. We believe in the science and the data. It goes a long way in those patients making the right decision for them. Um, So if you have a picture, post it, put it up, let people know that this is the right thing to do, um, that we feel confident in this data. We trust the scientists, and we believe it's all going to work out for the greater good.
2: So, we're talking today with Dr. Courtney. He is a pulmonologist at UMMC. He's going to answer any of our lung questions that we have. So, give us a call this morning at 1 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. So, I figured we would start with talking about asthma uh, because asthma is so common. Um, We see it in our kids all the time as pediatrics, but we also see it in our adults as well. There's a lot of overlap with symptoms and treatment with asthma and COPD, which COPD tends to be a little bit more in our adult patients. So we were going to kind of start with those two topics, just with how common they are. And one statistic I found about asthma said that 17 million Americans have asthma. So that's a lot of people with asthma. And it said one-fourth of those are under 18. So that, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of teenagers. Um, but that's also just a lot of Americans in general with asthma. It also said that asthma accounts for about 4,000 deaths per year, which is kind of crazy because I think about how many asthmatics I have in my clinic. And we we do a pretty good job, I feel like, of controlling asthma. Um, but there's still about 4,000 deaths per year with asthma. So that's that's too many. Um. So, Dr. Courtney, tell us a little bit about like what asthma is, what What exactly is happening in your lungs with asthma.
3: Okay. So, asthma, in, in our terms, the way we define asthma is asthma is a hypersensitivity allergic reaction. And what do I mean by that? Um, it's an allergic reaction just like any other portion of the body, whether you rub your leg against a poison ivy or you swallow a peanut and you have an allergy to that. It causes a lot of swelling and inflammation. Well, the problem with asthma is that it's in the airway. And because it's in the airway, that leads to all the symptoms that we know, whether it be the shortness of breath, the coughing, the obstruction, which ultimately leads to wheezing. And the other issue with asthma is that it's uncontrolled or the hypersensitivity portion that we talk about. So unlike another allergy or allergen where I'm exposed to it, my body reaction, it goes away. Asthma stays and it's chronic and it's always there. And unless the patient is on that right medication regimen, it's always going to give them day-to-day problems. So that's kind of the, the physiology behind asthma and why it's such a nuisance. It's just a lot of swelling and secretions in your airways. And as you guys know, you need your airways to breathe. So,
2: Right. And so a lot of times we you mentioned that it's a reaction to something. So could you tell us a little bit about what are some things that trigger people's asthma to flare up?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is a reaction. It's, it's, it's the same thing as allergies, just like when I'm expo- exposed to an allergen, my body has a reaction. Well, these people, they can't slow down that reaction. Um, and there's so many things that, that cause this reaction, whether it be um, household pests, household animals, the allergens from pollen. Um, we even see cockroaches, literally anything that can cause it is it's different from patient to patient. Um, ultimately, the treatment is the same, and we'll talk a little bit about treatment a little bit later. Um, but we try to do our best to identify that allergen in that patient and try our best to keep them away from it. We also see it in patients um, due to exercising. We see exercise-induced asthma as well as work-related asthma. So there, there are a lot of different things that can cause it.
2: Yeah, and colds this time of year. I feel like um, we always used to joke in pediatrics especially when the fair came to town it was time for the asthma to start seeing the asthma patients because the fair usually comes around october which is when ragweed comes it's when the cooler air comes in and that's when we would always see our asthma patients come in Um, because a lot I feel like a lot of people take breaks from their asthma medications throughout the summer sometimes especially if you're just a mild asthmatic Um, And so around the time of the fall and the fair, we, everybody would come in our, the Peds hospital would always be full of asthma patients around that time. So that's definitely, um, a time when we would see the asthma flare up in this time of year as well. So, um, tell us a little bit about how you diagnose asthma. Do you have to see an asthma specialist or can your pediatrician or your general doctor diagnose asthma?
3: Yeah, so generally, um, your general doctor can diagnose asthma. You need what's called PFTs or pulmonary function tests to make that diagnosis. We have a lot of patients out in the community who carry that diagnosis of asthma, but they haven't officially had those PFTs. And without those, it's hard to say exactly if it's asthma or not. Uh, PFT stands for pulmonary function test, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, we are getting measurements of how much air you can get in your lungs, how much you can get out, how fast you can get it out, and all of these things help us with that diagnosis. And the main thing we're looking for is that obstruction like we talked about earlier. Um, You having a difficult time getting the air out is how we go about making that diagnosis. So for someone to have the diagnosis of asthma, they have to have those PFTs done.
2: Yeah, and I'll say a lot of times in our kids, it's hard for them to follow the directions for those pulmonary function tests, um, and so we'll treat kind of just based off clinical symptoms, or if you, if we have to give you an albuterol inhaler and you do good with it, uh, we'll, we'll kind of diagnose based off of that, because I'd probably be about five, six, seven years old before you truly can follow the directions, because it's kind of... Um, you got to take a big breath in, you got to blow out and hold it for a certain amount of time. And and that can be harder for younger kids to do. So we can diagnose it in our younger kids just based off of symptoms. Uh, But we do like to have the test done because that kind of lets us know too how severe your symptoms, I mean, how severe your asthma, your disease is. And that definitely is important as we'll talk about with COPD, we really need those tests for that. Um, but for younger kids, sometimes it can be a little bit trickier. Well, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna continue talking about asthma. We're gonna talk about COPD and COVID. Any questions that you may have, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Dr. Jeremy Courtney, who is a pulmonologist at UMMC. We're talking about lung diseases like asthma, COPD. If you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So if you missed the first segment, uh, we were talking a lot about asthma we've got a lung specialist own with us and so we started just with talking about asthma i mentioned that dr courtney is also an icu doctor and so he has been taking care of our COVID patients as well Um, and so we appreciate all the work he has been doing Uh, so he could answer a few questions about that as well if you have questions Uh, we're going to go to our caller sue is in beaumont good morning miss sue
0: good morning i'd like to ask the doctor a question Excuse me. Uh, I wonder before they started doing all the uh, research, when they were doing the research to start making a a antivirus vaccine, was the DNA or the gene gene code on that COVID uh, research? I mean, how is it different from other viruses that cause pneumonia type disease and 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 uh pneumonias and uh, flu? Do they, do they decipher
3: that code yet? Are you, are you asking about the, the vaccine or the virus itself? The virus itself. The virus itself. You know, so the biggest issue with the virus itself of why we have such a, a bad response to it, where instead of our body being able to control it and you get a cough or sniffles like you do with a regular adenovirus or the common cold, it's the fact that we haven't been exposed to it before, so our body doesn't have immunity to it. And with that, it leads to the virus, virus essentially just going haywire throughout your lungs. And that's why we see a lot of those symptoms. So it's, it's not the virus itself, it's not anything as far as the, the genes in the virus, it's the fact that we don't have any immunity to it. Um, our hopes are, as we get this vaccine out, um, we'll see that patients will develop antibodies and they won't have such a harsh response to this virus. Does, it, does that answer your question?
0: Well, I, I was just wondering, if it, how, how different is it from the other viruses that cause uh, pneumonias and flu?
3: Got you, got you. Yeah, so the viruses, each virus is a little different. Um, some viruses are a little bit more deadly than others. This one's a little bit on the higher end as far as mortality goes, but a lot of that's contributed to the fact that it's so new. Um, we as humans haven't seen it before. And since we haven't seen it, your body doesn't have a way to fight it. And if it doesn't have a way to fight it, that's how we end up in the situation we're in right now. Um, But the hopes are as time goes. We're we're obviously with the vaccine, things will get a little bit better. Well, thank you. No problem.
2: Thank you so much, Ms. Sue. Yeah, we, you know, the coronavirus itself is that class of viruses has been around for a while but the thing with viruses is that they change they can mutate and with that comes our body responds differently like Dr. Courtney said when it hasn't seen this particular virus Um, the SARS-CoV-2 is the name of the virus commonly known as COVID-19, um, it, it's changed, it's mutated so that now our body has never seen this type of virus. Yes, we have coronaviruses around us, but this particular virus is different. Um, and hopefully with this vaccine, like you said, we can all build immunity, we can build antibodies so that we can fight this off when we do, when we do experience the virus. And we'll go to our next caller, Dan, who's in Yazoo City. Good morning, Dan.
4: Good morning. Good morning. I was listening to Dr. Courtney explain the uh, mechanism of uh, uh, asthma, and I'm just a bit confused. And maybe there's some other folks that are out there that are like me. Uh, I understand it's an allergic reaction in the lungs uh, that evidently stays there, and you uh, have to take medication uh, to keep it under control. But my question Mm -hmm. is. Uh, why do some people have the, uh, this reaction and other people don't? Is it a, a, a genetic thing? Is it, is it hereditary that there is? What does the allergen uh, react with within the body um, that is in some people and not in others?
3: Yeah, that, that's a really good question. That's a question throughout literature that we've been trying to figure out through the research that we've been doing. Um, There is a genetic component. Uh, We know that siblings are more likely to have asthma. Um, We also feel that there is an environmental component. There have been studies that show that people who live in inner city areas who may be exposed to a lot more different antigens, they're at more of a risk to developing asthma. Um, There are studies showing that patients who get antibiotics at a young age, they're more likely to. So there's so many factors that play a role into why a patient as this is hard to put my finger down on exactly one reason, but all of those mix together and it makes that person's immune system a lot more reactive or hypersensitivity, as we describe, uh, put them at risk for having asthma.
4: I got you. I got. You. Well, I appreciate it. And listen, I got one other question. I, I know you're probably going to address later in the uh, the program, but I'm not going to call back. I'm going to go ahead and address it now. And. and- and you had it on the show uh, one time earlier, talking when vaping was um, very much in the news. And it seems to have just kind of uh, disintegrated in importance in, in, in the news coverage now. But I'm sure the problem is still there. So I, I know you're going to address smoking. And, and at the same time, I, I hope you all address the, the vaping issue as well. Uh, I'll leave it with that. And I just enjoy the show. Just wanted to get those comments in. Yeah. Thank
2: you so much for that. Yeah. Kind of like everything in, well, not everything, but a lot of disease processes in medicine, it's complex and genetics plays a role. Environment plays a role. Um, I feel like we say that a lot, but, and I I tell my patients all the time, even like high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, there's lots of lifestyle things that we can change, but sometimes genetics outweighs everything. Uh, But usually it's, just a combination of all different things. Um, and so for, hopefully, like Dr. Courtney said, research is going on so that we can pinpoint if there is a genetic component to it um, so that those people would know maybe some lifestyle changes that they could do to help prevent, the, from, prevent from developing the disease. COPD on the other hand is mostly environmental. Um, it's mostly what you do to yourself and that's how it's a little different from asthma and so I, I want to make sure that we talk about that as well. But if you have any other questions, comments, give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 So we talked a lot about um, the triggers and what's happening in your lungs for asthma. And so I kind of want to talk about treatment, too, because I think a lot of people have questions. This is one thing that I have to go over with my patients all the time about when to use inhalers and when not to use inhalers. Um, Because we have certain inhalers that we use when you're having flare ups of asthma and to use Every, you know, as needed, but we also have um, inhalers that we're using every day for asthma. Um, and how, can you tell a little bit about what the difference is, like why there are some certain inhalers that we use every day and why there are some that we just use as needed?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good question because a lot of the patients I see in clinic who are referred because their asthma is under control, just talking a lot about their, their excuse me, their inhalers, it goes a really long way in controlling their asthma, so like you were saying, there's two types of inhalers. There are long-acting inhalers and there's short-acting inhalers. Those inhalers, they work in different ways. Um, some of them work to decrease, decrease that inflammation, while there are others that work to open up those airways. The long-acting inhalers are those maintenance inhalers. You're, ta- you're to take those every morning or in afternoon each day, no matter how you're feeling. If you're feeling great, your best day e- ever or your worst day ever, be sure to take that inhaler no matter what, because our goal is to get your symptoms under such good control, you don't need that rescue inhaler. And that rescue inhaler is to stay in your pocket at all times. is to go to school with you, go to work, go to the grocery store. And my hopes are you won't need that as much if we get you under a really good maintenance inhaler regimen. Um, so that's really important. That plus the technique of using those inhalers, I find that to be fairly difficult. There's so many types of inhalers big ones, there are small ones, there are round ones, there are ones that have dust in them, and it's really hard to get that down. Um, And, you know, you can talk to your primary care doctor about that, but in the meantime, if you just Google or YouTube the name of that inhaler, there's going to be a video to show you how to use that inhaler. Um, Be sure to use that because just doing that alone can go a really long way of getting your symptoms under control.
2: Oh, I didn't realize that about the like that there were videos associated with each inhaler. That's interesting.
3: Yeah, sometimes while the patients, while my patient's waiting on me, I'll just have that video playing of the inhaler that I know they're on, and it goes a long way um, in getting symptoms under control.
2: And I'll say this too, if you are one of those patients that has to be on an inhaler, um, especially one of those ones that you take every day, because we, we pretty much are familiar with the looks of the ones that you use as needed, um, but... Like people will come in, and Dr. Courtney's probably a little bit better at it than me because you prescribe these a lot more often than I do. But I'll have people come in and say, Oh, you know, that blue inhaler or that purple inhaler, the pink one. Um, it's kind of hard for us to keep up with exactly which color is which medicine. So if you are one of those people that has to take an inhaler every day and you go to the doctor, Make sure to take your inhaler with you because we're not very good at remembering which one is the purple one, which one's the pink one, which one's the blue one, which one's the red one, because there's so many of them out there. So just like Dr. Courtney said, to look at the video to see how to do it. Also try to make sure that you take a picture of the inhaler or you bring your inhaler with you so that we can know exactly which one your own. And that that kind of leads into my next topic that I wanted to make sure we talked about, too, is how I have a lot of people ask me about how do I decide what we're treating for asthma? So, like, how do I decide if they need to be on an inhaler every day? Um, And so I just want to reiterate, too, for people out there, if you're you or your child, a family member has asthma, um, it's important for us to know how often you're having symptoms of asthma because that lets us know how we need to treat it. If we need to use more medicines, more inhalers, um, if we need to change the type of inhaler you're using, uh, it's really important for us to know what symptoms you're having and how often you're having those symptoms. Uh, So a few of those symptoms would be, you know, how often you're having to use that rescue inhaler, like Dr. Courtney talked about, like when you're having wheezing. Um, the other one is how often you're waking up at night coughing. That's another big one. Uh, can you think of any other ones, Dr. Courtney? Those are two of the big ones off the top of my head.
3: Yeah, Those, those are really my go-to questions. Um And all of that's based on our asthma severity score. So if you're waking up in the middle of the night with symptoms, if you're coughing in the middle of the night with symptoms, um, if you've been hospitalized recently, um, if you're using that rescue inhaler several times a day, four or five times a day, you can't make it to your mailbox. Let us know. And there's other things we can do, whether it's education on that inhaler, changing the frequency, adding another medication, there's even more further advanced things that uh, probably fall a little bit out of the scope of our general asthma patients, but we have other options. So just let us know.
2: Um, We will go to our next caller, Dennis, who's in Starkville. Hey, Dennis, what's going on? Well, good morning to
4: both of you. I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. One is that I never had asthma until I came into very close daily contact with <coughs> wall-to-wall carpeting, and subsequently I heard that, that many installers of wall-to-wall carpeting within five years come down with asthma. And secondarily, I also found that a trigger for me was sodium benzoate, the food additive to preserve food. And I wanted your comments about both of those items.
3: That's that's a really good point that you bring up, Um, Dennis. Work-related asthma is real, and we see it quite often in our clinic. Um, And the way that it usually presents is a patient such as you who just started a new job and ever since i started that new job my symptoms or my shortness of breath has gotten worse and worse but it gets better on the weekend when i don't have to go to work all of those things are symptoms that we're looking for to make that diagnosis of work-related asthma with that being said the two biggest things that we can do is one the inhalers like we talked about we can start on a different regimen usually our work-related asthma they don't require a regimen that's that extensive possibly just a simbacord or an albuterol um but the biggest thing that we can do and i know it's difficult in some in most situations is to avoid the exposure if at all possible so finding a different area to work in that job and things like that
2: and I'd- I definitely have seen carpet as a trigger for people's asthma. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's the carpet as much as it is the things that can get trapped in the carpet. Uh, so dust, um, it's really the dust mites, not the dust, uh, pet dander. So if you have pets and all of that getting trapped in the carpet and it stays there, uh, it's a lot easier to clean if you've got like wood floors or towel floors than it is if it's trapped in the carpet. Um, So we'll see that a lot, especially in our younger kids, allergies, um, but adults as well too. Thank you so much, Dennis, for your call. We appreciate that. Uh, We're talking today with Dr. Courtney, who is a pulmonologist, a lung doctor at UMMC. We've been talking about asthma, but we're going to continue talking about anything and everything lungs. We're going to hit COPD next. But if you have any other topics you want to talk about, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464
4: Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpvonline.org.
0: Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Podcasts can be found on our website or on your smart devices podcasting
1: platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: Radio is changing its Saturday lineup beginning in January. MPB's AutoCorrect is joining Fix It 101 and Gestalt Gardner on Saturdays. Wait, wait, what? Wait, wait, don't tell me is staying in place, but Ask Me Another is moving to 1 p.m.
4: So there's
0: a DIY block of shows, then a game show block of shows? Exactly. Fix It 101 and Gestalt Gardner are still at 9 and 10. AutoCorrect airs at 11.
3: Wait, wait, don't tell me, still at noon.
0: Ask Me Another moves to 1.
3: New year, time for a change at MPB.
2: This is Southern Remedy, kids and teens on MPV Think Radio. We've been talking about lung diseases, we focused a lot on asthma, we answered a couple of questions about COVID, and now we're going to talk some about COPD. But if you have any questions for Dr. Courtney, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So asthma and COPD kind of similar in symptom wise. Um, you know, the wheezing, having to use inhalers, um, go sometimes needing oxygen and steroids, that type of thing. But the process behind it is pretty different. And I think it's important, you know, I know this is a technically a kids and teens show, uh, but I think it's important to address COPD because most people that smoke started smoking when they were younger. And so it's so important for us as primary care doctors and as pediatricians to try to prevent people from smoking and start the counseling and smoking and e-cigarettes because we know the damage is done over time. And if you, the longer you smoke, the more damage is done to your lungs. And so if we can prevent them from even starting, uh, then hopefully they won't have those problems as adults and the COPD that we see. I saw that if you ask people like adult smokers when they started smoking, nine out of 10 of them are going to say they started smoking before age 18. So that's that's crazy to think about. So 90% of people that started smoking started smoking before they were 18 years old. And so I'm sure a lot of people out there listening, if, if you are a smoker or you've been a smoker or you have a smoker in your family, if you ask them, they're going to say they started when they were younger. And so that's why it's so important that we address this so that we can hopefully prevent people from starting smoking as young as possible um, so that that way it doesn't continue into adulthood because that's when we know the damage is done. So that being said, COPD, um, chronic bronchitis, chronic emphysema, those are other terms that we'll use a lot of times for COPD as well. It kind of falls under this big umbrella. Um, Tell us a little bit about that and what exactly is happening in COPD.
3: Yeah, you're right. COPD and asthma, um, they're two completely different diseases. But in the long run, you end up with the same result, which is that obstructive lung disease. So we talked a lot of in asthma, the fact that the issue is um, it's a hypersensitivity reaction. Your body is over-responding to an allergen, which leads to all the symptoms you have. Well, with COPD, your body's responding exactly the way it should. It's just so much of that allergen, your lungs get hurt in collateral damage. So if you smoke every day, your body's doing everything it can to get all those toxin out. toxins out. Well, in that killing of the toxins or removal of the toxins, it leads to damage of the lungs. So over that... 30 40 years time that's when you start developing those symptoms those obstructive lung disease symptoms the coughing the shortness of breath the wheezing they possibly in and out of the hospital is all related back to that initial antigen you got the majority of the time is smoking and we're going to talk a lot about smoking after this um, sometimes there, there are weird cases um, there are genetic diseases that can cause people to have copd um, there are other diseases like hiv that makes them more predisposed to developing copd but our bread and butter, 90% of the time, is most likely related to smoking.
2: Um, and a question I get asked a lot is, if you quit smoking, is that going to help your COPD?
3: That is an excellent question. I try to bring it up to every one of my patients in clinic because the response that I get to, hey, it's time to stop smoking is, well, doc, I've done it all my life. There's really no turning back now. Well, there is a chart that I obviously can't show you right now, but no matter at what time you stop smoking, it helps your lung function. So you live longer. So if you stopped at 18 or you stopped at 30 or 50, or even if you stopped at 90 years old, those symptoms will slow down. It takes a little time. It takes a little time for you to get back to your normal, to you to reduce your chances of developing lung cancer. But in the long run, you're going to live longer if you stop smoking, no matter when you stop.
2: And the, the risk of lung cancer definitely. I know they used to say, and they may have updated this, but I remember I was always taught if you quit smoking once you quit smoking for 15 years, your risk of lung cancer goes back to the same as somebody who's never smoked before.
3: Right, right. Which yeah. is
2: awesome. And I mean, so if you can catch somebody to help them stop smoking around age 40 to 50, by the time they're in their 60s, their risk of lung cancer is back to you and me who have never smoked.
3: Correct. And that, that's huge. That's huge motivation for these patients. Um, it gives them something to shoot towards. Um, that plus just the, the symptoms going away because shortness of breath, we say it all the time, but when your baseline shortness of breath, when you can't move around like you like to, you can't. Chase your kids, your grandkids like you want to. That leads to a lot of depression. It leads to a lot of times where patients just are out of it. And if you're having problems with depression and you have COPD, that's not uncommon. We see that often. Please don't be afraid to speak up and let us know.
2: Yeah, that's a very good point. I I see that a lot, especially with people as they get further progressive into their COPD. So, we mentioned those pulmonary function tests earlier for asthma, but those are just as important for COPD as well, right?
3: Correct, correct. Um, We're looking for the same, essentially, mechanisms, some nuance to that statement, but for the most part, we're looking for the the same obstructive pattern with the history of smoking and the imaging. If there's something on your imaging that looks like COPD, all those things point us in the same direction. We'd like to get PFTs, um, just like you said, in your younger population and our older population who has really, really advanced COPD, it's hard to get that amount of air out of your lungs, so sometimes we can't get it in that patient population base, but for the most part, we like to get those PFTs or those pulmonary function tests for who all weren't with us before um, to help us make that diagnosis.
2: Right, and you can get COPD, although... Not common. We're talking mostly about smokers, uh, but you can get it from secondhand smoke, too. Um, And so we have to think about that in our kids and teens as well. If parents, grandparents smoke, it's doing damage to secondhand as well to the kids, um, to other household members that live in the, you know, live in the house with you
3: and lung cancer as well we do see a, we have seen a rise in never smoker lung cancer um a lot of that is in women and the thought is is that the man of the household or the dad of the household smoked and they were exposed to that so we see that as well Our never smokers to develop lung cancer so you or if anyone else is around you smoking it, it puts you at a risk for a lot of things um and and that's just not copd smoking in general Any disease process that you lay out, smoking makes it a lot worse. So whether you have diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, all of those things, smoking isn't making it any better.
2: Yes, that's a great point. Um, Heart attacks, Mm -hmm. uh, strokes, those make you at higher risk for that. Another one that I don't think a lot of people think about is Uh, the damage it's doing to your blood vessels. And so a lot of people with like chronic leg pain that people have problems with their legs a lot. Uh, We see that a ton in smokers. So your, your legs hurt, they get really tired and achy after you walk just a few steps. Um, That also can be a cause from smoking as well.
3: And we have treatment options too. Um, I don't, I don't want my patients or anyone who's listening to this think that you're on your own. It's just going to take cold turkey to throw down cigarettes. We have nicotine patches, gums, medication. We have things like the ACT Center in the Jackson area. All of these things are resources we can use to help you stop smoking. So just let us know.
2: Yeah. And I'll say this too on the medications. uh, A lot of times, because people are concerned about the medicines and the side effects, but I feel like they're pretty well tolerated. Um, I feel like Chantix gets a pretty bad rap for side effects, especially with the The funny dreams that a lot of people get, but I also have a ton of people that take it and do just fine with it and quit smoking. It is very effective if you take the medicine and helping you quit smoking.
3: Right, great. And I tell my patients all the time when it comes to smoking, none of the inhalers I have, none of the treatment options I have, compares to the benefit you would get from stop smoking. So if we don't stop smoking, then all of that goes to the wayside. There's no benefit of those inhalers and things like that. So um, that's step one is the discontinuation of the smoking.
2: Well, we are gonna take our last break, but we've got some time left. So if you have any questions about lung problems, uh, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And we'll be back after a quick break.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
2: This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking with Dr. Courtney who is a long doctor at EMMC and he's been answering our questions about asthma and COPD. We've got just a little bit of time left, so give us a call and get your questions in this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 We have a caller, Mikey, who's in Mobile. Good morning.
0: Oh, good morning, thank you so much. Um, this is a science question, but I think it's directly related to your topic as far as pulmonary issues. Um, I, I've been doing some house cleaning because it's that time, and um, I'm wondering if this dust being, being affected by ionizers, I've seen ionizers used a great deal in hospitals. Um, are you still there, doctor? Well, I'm still here. Yeah, we're here. We're listening. Uh, so do the, the ionizers – Particularly in, uh, I mean, again, like I say, I'm just a regular person out here. I'm doing some dusting and I've discovered microfiber cloths. Using an ionizer or ionizing things, uh, in conjunction with that, like, you know, passing it over it, um, does that remove more dust? Does that help with these sorts of, um, susceptibilities to severe allergies and such?
2: And like an air purifier, is that pretty, like, what yeah, you're one talking the little, about? One of the little plug-in
0: things, you know, the, 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 they're made by a bunch of different companies and, and have been for a long time. Um, it, I, it just struck me, and I just thought, well, who could I ask this question about? And then I thought of my friend that I've known since childhood who has such severe dust allergies that he quit going to office work, like, 20 years ago. Um
2: yeah, I, I'm not sure like how well they work for dust, to be honest. I mean, I know they're good at removing particles. So I think that it would be decent, I think, to best benefit. I know what the allergist will tell you if it's more dust is your trigger, because um, we've had Dr. LeBlanc in here before. And he's talked about the best thing if dust is your trigger is to pull up your carpet um, and to get mattress covers That's going to be your biggest things uh, to help with your dust triggers. I don't know exactly how well the ionizers and the purifiers are removing dust as much as they are just the general air particles, like how great that is. I just know allergists in the past have always told me uh, pulling up your carpet um, and putting mattress covers are going to be the two best things to help you protect from from dust if it's your biggest trigger.
0: I did both of those a long time ago. Fortunately, I'm not afflicted with those things. I'm a gardener, you know, and and so I'm I'm blessed to be able to do that and be outside a lot, and I have pets, too probably too many um yeah well i'm sorry i'll have
2: to do a little more uh mikey i'll have to do a little more research in that and i can ask um i'll i'll make sure to ask dr leblanc and try to get back to y'all here um about that to see because he's the allergy expert and he can help us a lot with dust and so i'll make sure to ask him that and try to find that out for you
0: i knew i could count on you thank you so
1: much
2: yeah thank you for calling us. We appreciate it. um, we'll go next to Michael, who's in starkville
1: Hello
2: Michael hey, good
1: morning yeah. Good morning hey uh, so to so doctor and everybody uh, about five days ago all right uh, real quick uh, uh, backstory in early October, I had uh spinal fusion therapy and i been uh, having uh, in home uh, physical therapy uh six and uh Still pretty well. And then about, I don't know, seven days or so ago, I started feeling weak and, uh, I probably got an Apple, uh, uh, iWatch, right? I watch, just Apple Watch. And, uh, um, for, to help me with, uh, physical therapy and, uh, helping my, my physical game. I'm starting to get, uh, I'm starting to get, uh, high heart, heart rate, uh, um, alerts. I get like 125 beats per minute while at rest. And, uh, now, where before I could just walk upstairs pretty easily, I was getting like six stories a day. And, uh, um, I get up to the stairs and I, I got stopped. I can't, I can't walk any further. I'm so short of breath and my heart is pounding. Uh, I got an appointment with my doctor, but you can't get appointments, you know, very quick, quickly anymore. You don't want to go to the ER. Think about, uh, telehealth bag. Uh, what would you recommend, doctor?
2: So, I think there's lots of different things that could be going on, Michael, and I think the biggest thing is getting in to see your doctor. Um, a lot of it could yeah, just that, be deconditioning.
1: That's not until the 22nd, uh, so that's,
2: I mean. Uh, okay. What, well, so a lot of it could just be deconditioning. You know, that's a pretty big surgery that you had with the back surgery and recuperating oh, no. and yeah, recovering. to remember
1: that actually, yeah, I remember that, uh, that uh, had the uh, physical therapy and making progress on leg strength and, uh, uh, you know, standing. Yeah. Because after, before I had surgery, I uh, had had, um, zero mobility. I was just coming up and working with And uh, so. uh, um,
2: Yeah. uh, Well, some of the other things, Michael, I would think about is um, a blood clot. You know, blood clots, you can get those. unfortunately fairly common after surgeries and prolonged um if you haven't been as mobile as you normally are infection is always a big thing you know when they do any type of surgery and you put any kind of hardware in your body anything foreign there's always a risk for infection um so i would you know those are two of the big things that i wouldn't want to miss and make sure you're getting checked out for that
1: well surgery was over two months ago and these symptoms of kind of were a, a pretty rapid onset. I was doing really good on physical yeah. therapy. And, 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 but the, uh, which just in a matter of days, right? So uh, I went from walking two miles a day, so I can't walk up the stairs in just a matter of days.
2: Yeah. You know, and, Mikey, I mean Michael, you may even need to go to the ER. You know, we don't like to tell people to go to the ER if we don't have to. But if, if you're not going to be able to be seen for another five days um, and your symptoms are that severe... It may be that you need to go to at least an urgent care or to the ER to get checked out because, like I said, blood clots, infection, um, and an abnormal heart rate, a heart rhythm would be the three big things I would be most worried about. You know, you're still considered post-operative if you're within that eight-week time period. So um, I would recommend getting checked out, which it sounds like you are, but probably sooner rather than later to make sure it's none of those severe complications that could be. Um, so we've got just like one minute left. Dr. Courtney, um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, just give a quick plug about uh, smoking cessation with the X center and the hotline um, and lung cancer screening. Can you sum those up real fast for us?
3: For sure. Yeah, like we talked about, we have options to help you with smoking, whether it's the medications. We have an X center here in Jackson. I believe there's some other ones across the state. We also have a hotline to help you. So there are so many resources not only stopping smoking is important, we also believe that preventative care is important. Preventative care is specifically lung cancer screening, because like we talked about, if you smoke and you smoke for a while, you're increasing, excuse me, increased risk for lung cancer. So if you're over the age of 55, and you've been smoking for more than 15 years, let your doctor know that you would like to talk a little bit about lung cancer screening, okay? And get your vaccinations. The vaccinations are important as well. Was that enough?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blue shot, pneumonia shot, definitely. If you have lung disease, you need to make sure you're getting that. And then hopefully the COVID vaccine soon as well. So, um, Dr. Courtney, thank you again so much for coming on. I think we've had some wonderful callers, and we appreciate that. Everybody, have a happy holidays. Please stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Avoid big gatherings. Um, And this has been Southern Remedy. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.